Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. That is Psalm 62 verses 1 and 2. I am your host, Sandra Flack. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. Today, we are going to be talking about homeschooling the FASD way. So whether you have a child with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder uh, or it's diagnosed or not diagnosed, or you're not really sure, but if you are a foster adoptive or kinship caregiver uh, and you're really struggling with uh, your child's education, whether they're in public school, private school, uh, you're homeschooling, remote school, whatever you're doing, um, we're having another conversation today about uh, uh, with a mom who is homeschooling. So it's another uh, conversation about homeschooling and what works and what doesn't work. So I look forward to our guest. Uh, But first I would like to, again, tease out our special upcoming series uh, about trauma, FASD uh, and uh, adverse childhood experiences. So we're bringing you some bonus episodes with my special guest, Dr. Jared Brown. Uh, he has a PhD, he specializes in trauma, FASD, autism, forensics, and traumatic brain injuries. He just seems to know everything about the brain and all of these uh, prenatal and uh, childhood traumas. And I've just been learning so much from him and I know that you will too. So I'm recording uh, these series of episodes We're going to focus on topics that really are relative to adoptive and foster parents, such as prenatal trauma is the first in the series. Uh, We're going to be talking about adverse childhood experiences, attachment, just so many things that we can dive into. Uh, So I hope you'll stay tuned uh, for those special episodes because Dr. Brown is a treasure trove of information and practical applications. So be sure to watch your inbox for those episodes. Um, Our regular episodes, like you're listening to today uh, of Adoption and Foster Care Journey, they drop into your inbox on Mondays, but this special series with Dr. Brown will drop on a different day. They're bonus episodes in addition to our Monday episodes. Uh, At the time of this recording, I'm not exactly sure yet which day we're gonna choose for the bonus episodes to be released, but be on the lookout for them because they will be arriving soon. We've already begun recording episodes with Dr. Brown. Also, as we journey together through these summer months uh, and we're looking ahead to the new school year, several of our August episodes will feature discussions about educating our foster and adopted children, just like the ones, uh, our our guest today, this is what our conversation is gonna be about. So again, whether you're utilizing public school, private school, or homeschool, whether you're loving how it's going and it's working, or you're pulling your hair out, you won't want to miss these informative episodes with fellow parents navigating that same rocky road. Also stay tuned to the end um, as I'm able to share more details on the important announcement. I've been teasing the past several episodes. Um, I were hope for the FASD uh, journey, community is a community of support led by Natalie Vecchione of FASD Hope Podcast and myself. We are two adoptive moms raising kids uh, with FASD. Uh, They're at various ages and stages and um, we are living the experience, right? We have lived experience and we're still living the experience because we're still in the trenches. So we created a community uh, that you can be part of that uh, Natalie and I will be leading with lots of resources and support for families. So we want you to stay tuned to the end of this episode for details on how you can get involved in that. Now, 
for today's guest. Uh, Claire Bowick is an RN and a homeschooling adoptive mom of a 14-year-old son with an FASD. Please welcome Claire Bowick. Hi, Claire. Hi. It is great to have you on the show. I'm so excited uh, to have you here. Uh, We connected through, uh, of all things, a homeschooling the FASD way Facebook group. Um, And I reached out looking for some potential guests for the series on educating kids with fetal alcohol and neurobehavioral differences. And you responded. And then we discovered we're even local capital region neighbors here in upstate New York. So uh, it's a small world, as they say, but it's it's great to have you here. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for having me. And I'm so glad we connected. Yeah, me too. Um, but so let's start at the beginning of your journey here. Um, kind of take us back to how, how did your son, you have a 14-year-old son, mm-hmm. how did he come to join your family? So my husband and I um, had been trying to get pregnant. We had had a couple of miscarriages. And after the second miss, well, actually, before I got pregnant the second time, we had started the adoption process. We were going to do international adoption. Then I got pregnant. A few months later, miscarried. And by that time, international adoptions had shut down. So at, at least from the country we wanted to adopt for. So we decided to go with domestic. And the agency we used um, asked us you know, about our preferences regarding any type of prenatal exposure. And... I, I'm an, a registered nurse, but I was very naive when it came to how prenatal exposure affects babies. And I thought, oh, you know, I'd be fine with a baby who had been exposed. As long as the baby's not born addicted, I, I'm sure it would be fine and I would accept that. So, you know, we, we continued to proceed with putting together our profile for the adoption agency. We were not even done with the process when we got a call that there was a newborn baby um, he was six days old at that point. Um, his mother was actually not a real young mother. She had some adult children ranging in age from age 20 to, to 10. And then this new baby, um, she was an alcoholic and child protective services had been involved um, at various points throughout her motherhood. And when they found out she was pregnant, they had told her, when you deliver, this baby will either go into foster care or you can make an adoption plan for him. So after she delivered, she was scrambling to make an adoption plan. And my agency really didn't have any active couples who were willing to adopt a baby who had had known alcohol, prenatal alcohol exposure. So they called us and we said yes. And we, you know, got it together with the agency fee and, you know, updating our profile and everything we needed to do went and got him the next day. Um, and he has been with us ever since. So domestic newborn, so seven days old. <laughs> wow. So now you, you right away, there were some indications that there could, you know, with the prenatal exposure to alcohol, what were those things that you were seeing or that you were told early on? We were told that his birth mother had admitted to drinking a six pack of alcohol every few days throughout the pregnancy And we were told that generally what they admit to is less than what they actually drank. So we knew he had had a lot of exposure. He was low birth weight, his head circumference and his height were all low, all in the first percentile. Um, That was the first red flag. He was difficult to feed and he was slow to gain weight. Um, Our agency suggested that we take him to a developmental pediatrician as soon as we could get him in. So he was seen at four months old and the doctor said, you know, we definitely need to keep in touch. Um, There's a good chance he might have fetal alcohol syndrome. Um, When I had gotten to backtrack a little bit, when I had gotten the call that this baby was available, the woman from the agency said, you know, he doesn't have facial features. He doesn't have the typical eyes that are too far apart that you see with, with fetal alcohol syndrome. So we thought, okay, Come to find out she's right. He, his eyes were fine, but he did have other facial features. He had the, um, the thin upper lip. He had the upturned nose and he had the smooth, I always say this wrong, filter, <laughs> the, the, you know, indentation that you normally have. Yeah. Um, but it, people, there's just so much ignorance about fetal alcohol syndrome. People think, oh, the eyes are fine. So he's probably fine. So anyway, um, 
we brought him back to the developmental pediatrician when he was eight months old. And at that point, the doctor noticed that he was looking, engaging at him from the side rather than making direct eye contact. And this raised a red flag. And I could just see by the look on his face, I said, are you thinking autism? And he said, well, it's something we need to be on the alert for. And then a couple months later, I noticed that he was very fascinated with any type of toy that would spin, just very preoccupied with spinning. And I had read that children, parents of children with autism had learned, had noticed that their babies in infancy had odd attractions toward toys. So I brought him back. This was probably 11 months old. And at that time, the doctor said, yeah, this is a real concern. And I think I'm going to go ahead and diagnose him with a FAS and we'll hold off on the autism and see about that. So he was diagnosed with FAS before he turned one. Um, at mm. that point, he started early intervention. He had a special ed early intervention worker who came to work with him and a speech therapist who came to work with him. Um, by the time he was two, his speech was really good. You know, he had a lot of good vocabulary. His articulation was pretty good for a kid that age. Um, and his testing, his IQ tests were good. And he got discharged from early intervention. However, we put him in a private part-time preschool when he was three. And the preschool, you know, did screenings just to try to catch things. And they found out that he had some gross motor and fine motor delays that had never been picked he had never been evaluated he should have been when he was in early intervention but he wasn't um and he was good enough at compensating that without a formal evaluation you really would not have suspected delays he walked before he turned one um you know he it seemed like he had good fine motor skills so anyway at that point in preschool we resumed pt ot and special ed to help him with social skills in the classroom because he wasn't playing you know he was mainly engaging in parallel play. There wasn't a whole lot of cooperative play going on. So that that's what he got in preschool. So yeah, there were signs from early on that, that something was not right. Um, yeah. And I know with the, the facial features, we know now that only about 10% of individuals with an FASD uh, even have the facial features. So it's a, such a low uh, number of the population and mom would have had to been drinking at a certain few days early on in the pregnancy for the facial features to even be affected. Um, so even so many kids are misdiagnosed or undiagnosed because when, when, when practitioners, when doctors are looking for just facial features um, and if they don't see them, they rule it out. And it's, it's, it's oftentimes not even the case. So, um, so I always, I always like to throw that in there when we have that conversation about facial features. Um, so you, you sounds like you got the early intervention right away. Was there anything, um, when he got the diagnosis, was there any, um, supports or anything that the developmental pediatrician recommended aside from early intervention? No, not really. Um, it, there was an issue about, did we want to hold off on finalizing the adoption, so that we could try to get Medicaid waivers and that kind of thing. And I said no to that. I said, you know, I want to finalize this. I want it to be official. I, I want to be able to make medical decisions for him without having to go through the state or get consent from the agency or whatever. So we did finalize his adoption at five months old. So he has never had any type of Medicaid waiver. He's never gotten free lunches. We've never gotten any of those types of services. And I have never felt the need for them. Um, he's not a child who has a lot of major behavioral problems. Like I know a lot of kids on FAS spectrum do. So I haven't felt the need for a respite or anything like that. So it's mainly just special ed services throughout his childhood or the only thing we've ever gotten for him. Yeah. So let's talk about the education piece because, um, we know you said he had the early intervention, he had preschool. Um, so after, after preschool, did he go on to public school? Tell us about kind of what, what education was like from kindergarten on. Yeah, he did go to public school. Um, he was in public school from kindergarten through March of sixth grade, which was when the pandemic started. And so he has not set foot in a public school since March of 2020. We've homeschooled ever since. Um, but backtracking to public school, he received special ed the whole time. He was in mainstream classrooms, but he did get pulled out for resource room. And he also had special ed teacher pushing in as a consultant teacher 
for math and writing and things like that. Um, he had a shared aide, so it was not a one-on-one aide, but it was an aide in the classroom who helped to give support to him as well as some other special ed students in the classroom. Um, he did okay academically in some respects. He has always been a good reader and reads on grade level. His um, reading comprehension is grade level, really good um, decoding, that kind of thing. Math with support, he did quite well with until third grade when the math starts requiring a lot of multi-step word problems. And that's something that to this day he cannot do without prompting and without a good deal of support. Um, The other courses, science and social studies, he did okay as long as he had the shared aid in the room to keep him on track. And then me doing a lot of reteaching at home of all the subjects. Um, he would do fine on his social studies and science tests as long as I was given a good study guide and could really spend a lot of time preparing him. So he was always able to be at grade level, but it required a lot of reteaching and support on my part, as well as support in the classroom. Um, His biggest issues were, again, math and writing, anything that requires multi-steps to organize, keep track of, integrate. He has a lot of issues with accessing, retrieval, integrating, applying, any of that is just really tough. In math, he will mix up his concepts, he will mix up his formulas. Um, And it's a really tough situation because putting him in a self-contained classroom or in a special math class would not be appropriate for him because he can do more than just add and subtract. He really can do the grade level math, but yet only with a lot of support. So it's almost like there's no clear cut answer. I mean, you hear about kids who keep getting passed and passed and passed when they really, there are all these holes. And I know that's a big issue, but with him, you almost had to pass him because yes, if you took away the support, God only knows what grade level he'd be on for math, but yet he can do more than what that grade level would be. So it was just really tricky. And the school was very ignorant of fetal alcohol syndrome. Just, I think in general, doctors and educators don't have a lot of information about FASD. Um, Autism is on their radar and ADHD is on their radar. And my son had symptoms of both of those. Um, And he was diagnosed with ADHD. There's some question about whether he would be on the, the autism spectrum. But the bottom line is his symptoms were caused by alcohol exposure. And the educators just had no background in how to best help him. Um, you know, with the, the classic FASD issues like the Swiss cheese brain where he'll know something one day and not know it tomorrow, the next day. Um, he also has slow processing speed, poor working memory. And, and you know, the educators, they, they have familiarity with these symptoms, but not the root cause. So they don't, and I think that they're all very overworked and just need to get through their day there's only so much individualization they will give a child. Um, they say IEP, individualized education plan. But the, the truth is that they're trying to service a bunch of kids. They're putting a bunch of kids in resource room and they're trying to basically teach the group as much as they can instead of you know giving the one-on-one individualized support that the child really needs. So I had frustrations all throughout his public school. Um, it was a lot of work for me to try to figure out how to reteach him at home. You know, the math is different than what I was used to. So I had to learn it myself so that I could support him. Um, Just constantly negotiating with the school and um, communicating with them. It was just a lot of work and it was very frustrating. And his sixth grade year, the year of the pandemic was a particularly frustrating year so that when the schools closed down in some, not that I was happy that there was a pandemic, don't get me wrong, but in some ways it was, it was a relief to have him home. And, um, you know, that's when we started homeschooling and we've never looked back. And as far, the current plan is to continue doing it through high school. Well, great, great job advocating for your son all those years, because that's really what it takes. And and I think the reason why autism is so well known um, is because over the years and in the early years, so many parent advocates, you know, they went after it and that made a difference. And I know that's that that community of advocates for um, 
you know, families with children with FASD, that's, we're rising up. So I, I do believe that there'll come a day where it will be much more well-known and understood. Um, but you're right. Our kids oftentimes need that one-on-one and even in special ed in a public school, they're not going to get that one-on-one. Um, and, and I think for a lot of families, uh, the pandemic just really, um, you know, had an impact. It did on, on my son. My son was in special ed as well. And Um, He just couldn't handle that abrupt closure of school because he needs routine and consistency and um, the not knowing when it was going to open. And then it is, it isn't, it is, it isn't. And then when we went back in September of 2020, everything was completely different and he just couldn't learn in that environment. So uh, we shifted back. I I was a homeschooling mom for, for many, many years. Um, Started homeschooling back in 2001 with all of my other kids um, but we returned to it. I thought I had, you know, graduated from that myself, but we returned also in uh, October of 2020. And uh, my son was um, uh, eighth grade, finishing up eighth grade that year. So this year we just, we, we finished ninth grade at home and we too are going to stay the course and finish through high school uh, doing homeschooling. Cause it's really the best accommodation for our son. And it sounds like uh, that's the same for, for your son. So Claire, share with us, what your typical homeschooling day looks like. I know you guys are taking a break for the summer and just doing a review, which I think is great. We're doing a lot of reading and review and math at our, at our house. Um, but when you go back to school throughout the school year, what does a, a typical day look like for you guys? Okay, so a typical day, if nothing out of the ordinary is happening, like appointments or whatever, which is probably you know, 80% of the time, um, we will start school at about 80, 8.45 in the morning. And... Most of our curriculum is an online curriculum, not all of it, but most of the core subjects, we do an online curriculum, um, partially so that I can learn the material right along with him and be able to help him with it. So we will sit down at 845 and we'll do two or three of the core subjects and then give him a break. He is a child who is extremely physically active, loves being outdoors. And I find that if he can get out and get some exercise and get some fresh air, that's very beneficial for the rest of the day. So we'll get two or three subjects done. He'll go outside, come back in. Um, We'll finish probably the third core subject, then have some lunch, then do the fourth core subject. And then after maybe to even take another break, it just depends on how the day is going. Then the rest of the day will be spent doing the non-core subjects, such as maybe health or art or whatever the case may be, as well as some supplemental activities that I do, whether it be spiral review or vocabulary practice, or, you know, I've got a whole every day, there are different supplemental activities that we do. We generally will be done with academics by two o'clock. At that point, I babysit for an infant and she arrives between 2.15 and 3.00. Um, In the summer, she's here during the day, but in the school year, her father works second shift. So he drops her off after we're done with our academics, which is great. Um, And my son loves her. It's really, he's learned so many skills from helping to take care of her. But also once that two o'clock rolls around, that's time for him to get some exercise, get some fresh air and pursue his other interests and strengths, which include, he has a neighborhood lawn care business, snow removal business, He loves to play piano and organ. We have an organ in the house, so we'll spend a lot of time playing music. Um, So, you know, when you homeschool, especially I'm able to, I only have one child, but I'm homeschooling. One-on-one, it can be accomplished a lot quicker than what a public school day takes. So that, you know, academics are challenging for my son. He has some strengths, but for the most part, it's a challenging part of his life. But now that challenging part of his life doesn't take up as much of his day. So more of his day, a bigger portion of his day is spent on his strengths and passions. And that just shifting that time proportion has been such a confidence booster for him. Mm. Yesterday we were at tennis. He does a, a local tennis program. And one of the women who runs the program was coming to take photos and she hasn't seen him in a few years. Um, the last time she saw him was when he did some indoor class, summer classes when he was 11 years old, three years ago. And she came up to me and said, I cannot believe the change in your son. He has come out of his shell, his confidence. 
And she has no idea that I'm homeschooling. She said, I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing it. I've never seen such a change in a child. Mm. And, you know, I've never shared with her his diagnosis or anything like that, but she could see that there were, you know, issues that he didn't have the greatest social skills and his social skills still aren't a hundred percent where they should be, but they're just so much better, which is pretty good considering that we're in a pandemic and we're COVID cautious and, you know, (laughs) didn't do as much socializing during the pandemic as you know, as we would have if we had homeschooled under different circumstances. So I think that right there just shows that public school just wasn't a great fit for him. And it's not to bash public school. I'm sure for some people it is a good fit, but it just wasn't for him. So Yeah. And I think that's a, the case really for a lot of our kids and, and not every, there's not a cookie cutter solution, but one of the things I've always loved, uh, even in my early days of homeschooling is how you can tailor the education to your child's strengths, work on the things that they need to work on the the core, the core subjects and whatnot. But, but, you know, my, my children were able to pursue so many interests um, that, that they still, you know, I I have a couple of kids that, that were very much into music. They were musicians. They had lots of opportunities for practicing and for lessons and things. And, and they're still musicians today and, you know, they're in their thirties. So, um, there's a lot of a lot of um, benefit to being able to really teach to the child's interests and strengths. Um, I do know that, um, and you've described so many of his strengths. I love that he's got a lawn care business and a and a snow removal business, and you've got him out there doing all of those things. That is, those are all life skills that will serve him forever and always, right? Um, and so we taking the strengths based approach is the best way, I believe, for individuals with an FANB um, to learn and be successful. But what are some of the challenges? I know you, you listed some of them earlier when you were talking about the working memory and the slow processing. Um, what are some of the other challenges you encounter during the day? Or are there any other ones that, that stem from the FASD that does make it a little challenging to homeschool? Well, I mean, basically the challenge is just that he's not a real easy kid to teach when it comes to certain things. Um, he requires a lot of repetition, huge amount of repetition, um, a lot of reteaching. And it's just sometimes it feels like the progress is really slow and it gets really frustrating. You feel like I've invested so many hours and hours and hours, but yet one day it seemed like he was making progress and now it seems like he's never heard this before in his life. And, you know, and as his mother, I'm more invested in this than a neutral teacher would be. I take it maybe a little more personally. I have more fears for his future. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I sometimes lose my patience and get upset and get emotional. Um, It's definitely gotten better. Even in the past couple of months, I've been coping with that better, but, but, you know, those issues were there even when he was in public school, because I did so much support at home. I sat with him for homework. I did a tremendous amount of test preparation. Anytime he had a test, I would spend hours on test prep. So those things too. Um, So honestly, I think I would have had those challenges no matter what route that I went. Um, But yeah, and I guess the other challenge is just that I I don't have a degree in teaching. I don't have a degree in special ed. So I sometimes feel like, you know, I wish I did because then maybe I would know a better way to help him learn this or help him, um, you know, just process it better or whatever. But you do learn as you go. And I have Mm -hmm. picked up some things along the way. I mean, every child is different. So yeah. You know, even though I don't have a degree in special ed, I do know a lot about him <laughs> and how his brain works. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. you know, that's an advantage. And it's just trying to get ideas and trial and error until you find things that work. And it's never going to be perfect. But um, yeah. Yeah. And not to bash special ed teachers at all or public school, like you said, but um, like we were talking in the beginning, they don't understand or know a whole lot about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. But yet, as parent advocates, we make it our business to know it because this is what our kid's diagnosis is. So we're invested, like you said, it's our kid. We're the most concerned about their futures and and um, know them best. Uh, so, and, and I don't believe it takes. I, I, you know, I've had eight kids, and we homeschooled everybody. I graduated six, and I don't have a teaching degree or a special ed, you know, degree or any of that. 
and I think it's, it's inspiring their love for learning and teaching them how to learn and figuring out ways to um, engage them in their strengths um, and providing them with the life skills that they need. And, and kind of, you know, every one of my kids was different. Not all, you know, had, had, you know, had uh, a, a developmental disability, but all of them, I was able to kind of plug into what, what is their natural bent? What is it that they seem to be wired for? What is it? You know, I had one kid, she just wanted to learn, like she had gone through all of our homeschool, high school curriculum by the time she finished ninth grade. Like I couldn't, she just devoured curriculum and books. And I was like, oh, you know, so I'm like, what do I do with this kid now? And so I ended up, she started taking, this is before it was even a thing. Cause this was, this was way before, cause she's 25 now. So this was way before COVID or any of that. Um, but she started taking online college classes um, in high school. And by the time she graduated from uh, homeschool, high school, uh, she had um, a, 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 an associate's degree in wow. um, psychology from Liberty University. Like that was, you know, and then she found out after, like after, then she went to, on to, for, to get a four-year degree and she figured out, I don't even like psychology. <laughs> you know, and, but, and I, I kept telling her, I don't think that's what you like should go for. And she's like, no, 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 that's what I'm going to do. And I'm like, I don't know. I, but cause she was an excellent writer um, and communicator and very creative. And I kept saying, maybe you want to do English. Maybe you want to do communications. Maybe you want to do, and she's like, no, no, no. And then after, after her uh, first year at the four-year school, after she had already had her degree from Liberty, she was like, I don't, I don't think psychology is for me. And she ended up graduating with a bachelor's in English and communications. Cause that really was her fit. Mm-hmm. And she was able to kind of experiment with those things. And she did the writing curriculum at home and all of that. So every kid is different and whether they have a developmental disability or not, we can teach them at home towards their strengths. And I didn't even mean for like these episodes to be pro homeschooling. I kind of just wanted to see how's everybody doing with this. But so many times, especially with our kids who've been prenatally exposed, getting that one-on-one at home is a, is a game changer. It de-stresses our kids um, because they're, they're dealing with so much at school just to try to hold it all together and being forced, you know, to, to kind of like, you know, forcing the round peg into a square hole every single day. Um, it's frustrating for them and, and it can lead to secondary um, symptoms of FAS. So um, you're doing a great job. And I know you called it Swiss cheese brain. And it made me, it made me think the uh, social worker that had worked with my son early on, she said, think of his brain like a file cabinet. Sometimes he can go in there and retrieve those files. And sometimes he cannot find them. It's right. in there. You know, it's in there. You yeah. remember it went in there, but they can't find it. And then like two days from now they can find it. And that's just what it's going to be like. And that is exactly what it's like. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing too, is that, you know, sometimes I second guess myself and I'm sure a lot of homeschooling mothers do this, you know, the high school that he'd be going to, it's a good high school for some things. And they have a lot of great classes that he would probably love. Um, They have a really good music program. They have a lot of OTEC classes that he would like. But the thing is, is that for him being in school for seven hours, and then coming home to two hours a day of homework, he wouldn't have any energy left over to go to the after-school activities or to take the the music classes or whatever. I mean, it just, he would be exhausted. He's a kid who needs his downtime. So even though the school has a lot of things to offer, he wouldn't be able to take advantage of it. And the type of music he likes, like piano and organ, you don't learn that in high school. You can do band or you can do orchestra, but there's no piano. There's no organ. You do things like violin or, you know, so it just, like you said, he is so much a square peg in so many ways when it comes to the school. And, you know, I, maybe not for every child, but for my child, I think, like you said, getting the one-on-one, it's almost as good as working with a special ed teacher because, because he gets so much more individualized attention, yeah. you know, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it, it does vary, um, you know, by, by school district, which I want to get into, but I do find that a lot of our talking, talking to so many moms, a lot of our kids um, get easily exhausted. My, my youngest has a visual issue. He had um, a whole year of vision therapy um, when he was in, I think he was in fourth grade. He did a whole year of vision therapy, which improved things greatly. But even today, if when he has to read, 
um, for, with the reading curriculum that we're using, he'll get two sentences in and start yawning. Like it's literally exhausting for him to read, for his brain and his eyes to be able to do that. Um, it's exhausting. So one of the accommodations I do at home is we'll, you know, we started off with, he would read a paragraph, I would read a paragraph, you know, so whatever his reading was, that's what we did. Um, now we're up to, he can read a page, I can read a page, he can read a page, and we get through it that way. But he's wiped out by the time we're done reading, like physically exhausted. And, and I have a 19 year old who graduated and he's, um, you know, he goes to work and he comes home every single day from work and takes a nap also FAS, um, just, just from holding it together and having to do all of the things all day, exhausted and goes to bed. So that is a real thing. And our kids, you know, it, it does limit what they would be able to do if they have to basically perform all day long at school. Um, it's not necessarily something, you know, that, that they can do. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, um, Claire, is it, it's, it's important to note that homeschool regulations vary by state. We have listeners from all over the country. Um, and it also that also varies by school district. You and I both live in New York State, and, and I'm sure our school districts are, are, are a little bit different in the way they do things. I live in a pretty friendly district. I've worked you know, hard to build good relationships with um, my district in the early days of, of home educating my kids way back in 2001 when I started. Um, before we adopted and had kids with neurodiversity, I was homeschooling. I, and, and now it's handled a different way where we have to do all our, of our reports through a central office, a, a BOCES office. Um, back in the day when I did it, I, I just, just, my reports went to our school district superintendent's office and I hand delivered them every quarter that I had to do them and got to know the secretary in the office and just became a familiar face, you know, worked really hard to make sure I, you know, dotted all my I's, crossed my T's, you know, they saw me there, they knew what I was doing. So as I had to interact with the school district with my kids that we had adopted, um, even though I was homeschooling, one of my kids was started to have to get services through the school, things like that. But um, it really depends on the school district, not just the state, but the district. And, um, you know, I, you don't have to name your school district at all, but what has been your experience? Because I know it can be vastly different. I know another mom, a local mom to you and I, who um, nightmare with, with, her, with her homeschooling. And she's been a longtime homeschooler long before the pandemic and all of that. So what was what's your experience been like? Okay, so do you want my experience with the school district related to homeschooling or related to special ed services or both? I think you could do both. Yeah. Tell okay. us about both. So um, before homeschooling, my experience with special ed, I kind of touched on this, just that I felt like it, it, they wouldn't be terribly individualized toward my son. They would approve the bare minimum um, and try to, you know, lump him in with other kids and, okay, how can we meet the average child in this resource room group, that kind of thing. Um, once I started homeschooling, and again, this started officially September of 2020, um, when the schools first closed in March, you know, he did the remote learning, which was really just pre-recorded classes. It was no, nothing major, but we started officially homeschooling in the fall. And so far, it's been pretty good. Um, the first year, they were pretty lenient. They waived the annual assessment um, because at school was a mess for everybody. So they, you know, they had yeah. eliminated testing for the kids in the school. So they had to do so for the homeschoolers. The second year, um, not too bad. Maybe they were a little bit stricter. Like I would send them um, my quarterly report and they would ask for some more details when I felt like I had been quite detailed <laughs> as it was. Um, wanted a little bit more detail in terms of course descriptions and that kind of thing. Um, and that could be because there's a new, I submit to, actually, the person I submit homeschooling paperwork to is the director of special education. He does, he wears both those hats. So um, instead of sending it to the superintendent or going through a BOCES program, I send it to him and he's new in the position. So I think that he's just making sure for himself that he's got all his I's dotted and T's crossed. Um, but it hasn't been too bad. I mean, they're pretty good. They let me email them the reports. Um, they 
New York State, as you know, is probably the strictest in the yeah. in the nation. So New York, now that the pandemic is almost over, they do require an annual assessment for kids in the upper grades. So when I sent my um, IHIP for for eighth grade, I got a letter back saying, um, "Be aware that you will need to do an annual assessment." Um, let us know so we can make arrangements for a certified teacher to administer this. And the New York state regulations say that it doesn't necessarily have to be a certified teacher. It can also be another appropriate person, which we interpret to be the parent. So I just wrote back to them and said, um, I actually plan to administer this on my own. I plan to administer the on online untimed California achievement test so that my son can take it one section at a time rather than sitting for hours taking a test, mm -hmm. which would not be in his best interest and would not be a good assessment because he would eventually tire and not perform well on it. So I didn't ask them, I told them, and I've mm -hmm. heard that that's the approach you need to take. So yeah. they didn't respond to this. And I, I interpreted that as implied consent to what I had said. And then again, when I submitted my third quarterly report, I reiterated, I will be administering the online untimed CAT. I will, I will submit his composite score with my fourth quarterly report. Again, they didn't respond. So I interpreted that as applied consent and I've sent it to them and I think they're fine with it. So um, that's kind of been my experience that, yeah, sometimes they want additional information, I'm okay with that, but there are times when I need to be firm and they mm -hmm. seem to respect that. So yeah, knowing the regulations are, is, is vital. And I'm so glad that you did that. And this is, again, just what you described is, is what I was alluding to that. So, so now in New York state, it can vary by district because um, my district, I used to be able to just submit directly to this, the, the district. Um, and then when I started homeschooling again in 2020, um, then now the reports don't go to the school district. They go to this BOCES office um, in Albany, the capital, which is you know not very far from where we live. But um, so I have to, I send, I, I email them in. Um, I make sure one of the things that I do um, is I make sure that on everything that I send them from the quarterly report to the, uh, the IHIP, the individualized home instruction plan, because in New York state, we have to do a quarterly report for, for our listeners who don't live in New York state and don't realize the nightmare. <laughs> um, that you have to do a quarterly report um, prior to starting the school year. You have to send them a letter of intent, letting them know that you are going to be homeschooling. Your quarterly reports have to be done. You have to give a list of all the curriculum that you're going to use. Um, I don't know. I don't even I, I, anything else. Possibly your your you know the birth certificate of your firstborn. For all I know, I don't know. They ask for all these things, right? Um, so I I've always complied and always been above board when coming to do those things. But I make sure on with my son on everything. His diagnosis, as I know it, because it's not a recognized it's not recognized in his IEP, um, but I let them know that my son has fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Um, you know, kind of give a definition of what that is, and that he's diagnosed with that. And therefore, I also know because my other son was in school and graduated. My other son with FAS, he, he my boys weren't when they were in school were not on track for a general education diploma. They were on track for what's called a CDOS. I'm not even sure what um, those initials stand for, but basically it was a certificate because in high school, they would be preparing them for some kind of a vocation, some kind of employment. So they weren't going to have to do a regents in New York state. There's regents. They weren't going to have to do a language. Um, you know, they, they were their whole curriculum. Everything was modified for them. So knowing that I make sure that that is in that paperwork that I submit all the time. So that way they're seeing, this is, this is why they're seeing some of the things that they're seeing on this very unique, um, homeschooling report. And then when I got that notification that, okay, assessments are going to be due and they wanted us to, to they wanted me to indicate on the third quarter report, what the, the testing was going to be, what our assessment was going to be. And I just included that I would, I would be doing an assessment myself that I wasn't going to be doing any kind of standardized testing because I basically would have to sit with my son one-on-one -on -one and basically explain each question. And, you know, like, I'd be teaching him the material in order to take the test. 
And it's like, that would be a waste of time because he's learning so many other things the way we do school. If I had to stop and take a standardized test, he'd only be learning that, okay, today we have to take this test and I'd have to walk him through that process. And it'd be a waste of his education. So I just let them know I'm going to be, I'm going to be submitting an assessment that I do myself. Um, and, you know, and I, I too waited for any pushback and it was like, okay, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah. My, my district wouldn't go for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, but my, mine did, you yeah. know, but I know, and, you know, and, and it sounds like in a lot of ways, your son probably has more, um, academic ability than, than mine does. I've, I've like much more significant deficits probably, but um, just knowing what he was on track for and mm-hmm. knowing what it was going to look like if he were in school. Um, it's like, why, why would I sit, sit and make him take a test? I mean, I had to do that with all my other kids when we homeschooled back in the day, we did all of our testing and I used the California achievement test. Um, but you know, with this, with my son, it would be just like, basically we, we would be spending days, just trying to get him to, to answer questions. Like it would just be a waste of time. And they accepted, you know, what I said, but again, if I lived in your school district, I might not be able to actually do that. Um, But I do like your approach, just telling them, this is what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, 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 you know, then it's on them to say, you know, yay or nay, but a lot of, but that's where you need to know the regulations yourself, because, you know, like the guy wanting you to, you know, have it be administered by, um, a teacher and it does not have to be administered by a teacher. So knowing the, knowing the regulations in whatever state you live in, um, helps you when you're interacting with school districts. So, um, thank you for going into that because that is a thing that all homeschoolers, homeschooling families are always, um, you know, always battling with. And, um, does your son have an IEP with the school still? He does. Um, I wanted to keep that active just to keep my options open, And just for documentation purposes, like you said, so that, you know, if his cat scores weren't good, I could point and say, look, you know, this isn't because of homeschooling. This is because this is how he is, you know? Um, So, yeah, we do keep that active. Um, My district will provide related services for homeschool children, meaning things like speech, OTPT. They will not provide special ed resource room, anything like that. Some districts will, mine will only do the bare minimum that they're required by law. So on his IEP, it does say speech therapy once a week, just to help with pragmatic social communication. I did not send him last year because of the pandemic. I sent him once and he came back with the first cold he had had in a year and a half. (laughs) And I thought if he could catch a cold that quickly, he said that the halls were so crowded, he would never know there was a pandemic going on. I said, okay, if he could catch a cold that quickly, he could catch other things that quickly. We're just going to not do this. But anyway, um, hopefully this year he will. He will go. And last year it was going to be twice a week. This year, the speech therapist did a new evaluation. She said, actually, even without getting the service, his scores have improved. He only needs it once a week now. So I'm hoping he will go once a week for that. Um, But that's the only service he gets. But the IEP does specify all the different classroom accommodations, testing modifications, all those things that he had when he was last in school in sixth grade. So it's there in black and white if he ever does return to school. And it also helps me to justify some of the things I do at home. Um, I probably give them more information than what they need. But I've told them that, look, there are certain topics, certain subjects I don't test him in. I just don't test him in these because it would be a waste of time. And this is what I do instead so that they know that I, I do think it's good for him to learn this material. I think it's a good exercise for his brain, but I'm also not wasting my time on things that are futile, you know, and, and that way, if they ever question that I could point to his IEP and say, this is his limitation. And, you know, Right. Um, right. Yes. I, I recommend absolutely for families that might be considering homeschooling. Um, if your child has an IEP, you're going to want to maintain that IEP. Um, my, my son has, has had his all along and, um, he, he too gets speech. So last year, um, he was to, he was getting, um, two units of speech two 30 minute units of speech. I, I wanted to, I'm like, can I just bring him down once for an hour? Like, doesn't that make sense? And they're like, oh no, we're not allowed to do that. It has to be two separate 30 minute. And I'm like, okay, so, you know, for me to leave the house, take him there for 30 minutes and come home, we're never going to regain the school day. It's just like taking the kids on a field trip, 
when you get back, nobody's learning anything. They've already like checked out for the day. So I really didn't want to, to bring them for just 30 minutes. It was like, this is not really, it's going to waste more time in the day. Um, so I asked the speech teacher if we could do it online. And she said, well, I have to ask, but I don't see why we couldn't. She didn't get an answer. So then she said, all right, well, let's just start. And if they tell us we can't, we can't. And we made it through the whole school year. Um, so he did two 30 minute sessions of speech with her online um, and did great. So, and you know, he is, he, we just had his meeting um, back in early June and they, you know, he will continue to have his two units of speech. But now my district said, you know, and because I think they know me well, I've done this for so many years. They said, is there anything else we can help you with? And I said, well, really the, the, the thing I feel like he needs the most that I'm not good at getting done is the life skills, because I feel like we get through all the academic stuff. And then it's like, if I try to do life skills, he just sees it as mom, you're trying to make me do chores, right? Like my mom is making me do this. He doesn't see it as life skills and he needs to learn this. So, um, you know, it turns out that the, the class that he would be in, in high school, um, is the same class that my other son who graduated was in and with the, with this teacher that I absolutely love. She's a special ed teacher, but she was a sweetheart. Um, and they said, well, you know, she's going to be doing life skills last period of every day with her class. And if you would want your son to you know, join the class and come in every day at one o'clock to be able to, to, to have the life skills class with the class. And he knows some of the kids in the class. And I'm like, we can do that. Like, really? So that's what we're going to do because I feel like that'll help him somewhat socially. Um, well, definitely will help with social skills because he always needs help with that. Um, and it'll help with the life skills, the, but then the, you know, the burden is kind of on me because now I have to bring him every day, right. you know, for that hour, they are going to try to work his two units of speech in so that it's just before. So on two days of the week, he'll go a little bit earlier to do the 30 minutes of speech and then life skills. So I feel like at the, you know, we're going to give it a shot. We're going to try it and see how it goes for the school year. Um, you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll stay the course if it seems like it's really benefiting him and it's working. Um, I'm not looking forward to, you know, now I'll be, but it's since it's, since it's after all of our academic time, I don't have to worry about coming home and then trying to get more. I'm resuming it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I would take advantage of that because my district would never offer anything like that. Never in a million years. So I would jump at it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I really feel like it's going to be good for him, but that's just another example of how, you know, not only is, is this different state by state, but even school district by school district. Um, last week's episode uh, of this podcast, I talked with Shannon, Shannon Yakabachi. Um, she's also a homeschooling mom, kids with FASD. She's a master IEP coach, I learned. So we had a great conversation about that. Um, and we've included a link on our website um, to her site. Uh, so if anybody who is listening is interested in, you know, your child has an IEP or you're just embarking on this journey, whether you homeschool, public school, private school, whatever it is, if your child needs and or has an IEP, if you'd like some professional help with that, um, Shannon, Shannon is, I didn't even know it was such a thing, a master IEP coach. Um, so she's very well-schooled in this. So um, there is a link now on our website, justicefororphansny.org under our FASD resources, where if anybody's interested in, in having some help with IEPs, Shannon can help you out for sure. She even, she'll even virtually go to the IEP meetings with families if necessary, um, a, a lot of things that she offers there. So um, check it out if you're interested in that. So homeschooling is working so well, you're going to homeschool him through high school. Um, I remember when I first started homeschooling back in 2001, I said, well, I'll do it up to high school, but I don't think I could ever handle high school. But then I graduated six kids from homeschool high school. So, you know, it, it is, it is possible. And it is even possible if you have a child who needs special ed, who's, who's FASD or has any other kind of neural behavioral disability. But so Claire, what advice would you give to our listeners who may be contemplating homeschooling, um, but the whole idea of high school sounds scary? I know you're going to stay the course through high school. I'm going to stay the course through high school, but it, so it is possible to do. What advice would you give to our listeners who are like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, my best advice would be don't just assume that you're not capable of doing it. I mean, 
I am no math whiz, okay? And I certainly did not learn math the way the kids are learning it now, but I've been able to do it. And part of that, again, is that I do use this computerized um, curriculum with pre-recorded classes so I can sit there and learn the material right along with him. That empowers me to be able to help him. But I mean, it, it depending on your child's capabilities, you might not even be doing math that, that that's that in-depth. Um, you might be doing something more straightforward that you're more than capable of teaching. I mean, you don't have to have a teaching degree to be able to help implement a curriculum. You're not designing the curriculum. You're just reviewing it and carrying it out or, um, you know, helping the child interpret it. And I also feel like, I mean, if you're a special ed parent, you have a child with FASD, You've been teaching them since the day they were born, even if they weren't homeschooled. You have been teaching them. You have been helping with their therapy, carrying out their therapy suggestions to, you know, to reinforce that on your own time. You've been helping them with homework. You've been advocating for your child. You really do know your child better than even the experts at, at school do. So while they might have some tricks up their sleeve regarding teaching that you might not necessarily have, you do have that insight and the motivation and love for your child. Your child is the priority to you that unfortunately they probably aren't in the school setting. Um, and that's, again, not to bash school. It's not to say that homeschool is for everybody. It's not to say that it even is for everybody forever. It might be the solution that works this year and not next year. But I would say just don't rule it out because Yes, there are challenges. Absolutely. I mean, I don't have it all figured out and I probably won't before he graduates, but <laughs> the wrinkles that come up, you can eventually work through them and it might not be perfect, but it's worth giving it a shot. If your current experience is really frustrating. Um, I am blessed that I'm able to be home with my son full time. That definitely makes it easier. Um, if I had a full-time job, it, it might be, that might be a game changer, but because I am able to be home with him full-time, it's actually, I felt like it was more work for me when he was in school than it is now with me running the show, being able to tailor it to his needs, um, you know, getting rid of the things that just aren't working and that he's not going to, it's not going to happen for him anyway. So why are we wasting time on these things? You know, it's just, it's easier for me than having to coordinate with another person or another group of staff people that don't have the same priorities that I have. Right. That's wisdom right there. And I know like you, you're doing an online curriculum. My son, we're actually not doing anything online. He, he likes to, he likes online things, but he doesn't really necessarily like to learn um, his schooling online. So I'm doing a multi-sensory reading curriculum and a multi-sensory math curriculum. And I find things that work. And if you come up with a curriculum that doesn't work, then you can can it. You don't have to force it right down their throat, so to speak. And I don't use a, the same curriculum brand straight across the board for every subject. I sort of use a hodgepodge of things um, and just see what works, see what doesn't. And I modify it to make it work for him. If it's something that seems like it, this is working except for the testing and the memorizing the facts or whatever it would be. Um, because I know the memory is just, it's not ever going to happen. Um, so things, things like that. So there's just so many options and opportunities with the homeschooling. So I'm so grateful that you were on the show and, and, and shared your expertise and your experience. And um, I'm sure our listeners have learned so much. So Claire, thank you for, for inspiring us today and showing us that homeschooling an individual with FASD is possible. Um, I believe it's one of the greatest accommodations for our kiddos. Um, so great job. Great job, mama. <laughs> thank well, you for being thank on you so much for having me i'm really glad we connected and i'm glad to have learned about your website and um yeah you know thank you for all that you've done thank you so much i appreciate it and hopefully hey maybe we'll bump into each other we can connect and and uh talk more about homeschooling <laughs> absolutely <laughs> thanks so much claire okay bye-bye Oh, wow. That was such a great conversation with Claire. I hope you were inspired and that you learned a lot and it's going to help you in making whatever decisions you feel like you're needing to make for your kiddos for the upcoming school year. Uh, I so appreciate you listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. 
Um, be sure to check out the show notes for this episode um, where you'll find the links to um, our website, justicefororphansny.org. So you can check out the IEP um, support that is going to be listed there that Shannon's offering um, and a whole host of things because you'll also find on our website, um, our FASD 101 workshop is available um, and it can be offered. You can take it online or in person. Uh, and it's a 90 minute class um, about FASD. It's for parents, especially, but also professionals. Anybody who really wants to learn a little more about FASD, um, you can learn more about, uh, there's some details on our website and you can register on our website for that. And also, JFO is a platinum sponsor for FASD United's Run FASD, a virtual 5K. You can run, walk, roll anywhere, anytime during September. Uh, we are also hosting a local 5K in upstate New York. Um, so you can learn more and register for the 5K at runfasd.org. Um, you can also check out JFO's social media and our website if you want to actually connect with and meet in person myself, my son Slava, Rebecca Tulu, who we've had on the show, and a whole bunch of other uh, parents and caregivers and families that are going to step out um, in Voorheesville, New York on the rail trail on September 10th um, to meet up in person and represent and advocate uh, by, by just participating in the 5k, whether again, whether you run, walk, roll, whatever you want to do there. Now to our big announcement news, which I'm so excited about Natalie Vecchione of FASD hope podcast, who you may know, if you follow her podcast, I'm a faithful listener of Natalie's show. Uh, Natalie and I are collaborating together to bring you hope for the FASD journey. It is a support community for us caregivers raising individuals with an FASD. It's a faith-based community and it will include bi-monthly support groups. So twice a month, we're gonna have a via Zoom virtual support group uh, that Natalie and I will moderate. And once a month, so there's three meetings all together. So once a month, there's also what we're calling VIP conversations where Natalie and I, again, it'll be offered by a Zoom. Natalie and I will be um, interviewing uh, uh, some kind of very important, important VIP person in this space of FASD. Um, so it'll be a conversation with them to hear their story and then an opportunity for community members. So if you join, you would be a community member. Um, you would even have the opportunity to ask questions and kind of have an interactive conversation there as well. Our community will also include a private Facebook group um, where we can communicate with each other on a regular basis, but also Natalie and I will be taking turns kind of tag teaming Saturday devotional. Um, so uh, every Saturday, there'll be a little video on there um, on the Facebook group that you can watch and listen to um, where, where we bring a devotional just so that you can have some inspiration and um, some, you know, some spiritual encouragement as well. Um, so all of the details and the links uh, will be provided uh, in our August 15th episode. So the, there's this episode, uh, which drops in your inbox on August 8th um, and the following week. So next week, my special guest will be Natalie Vecchione, and she and I are going to talk all about um, this community, our hope for the FASD journey community. So stay tuned for that podcast because you'll get all the details about this collaboration, and, and uh, it will also start being available on our website, the JFO website, where you'll be able to sign up and become a member of the community. Whew, lots of stuff. Um, my book, want to mention my book. Um, you can check out my family's kinship and Ukrainian adoption story in my book, Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father. It's been nominated for a Golden Scroll Award, um, and I'm honored and excited to be traveling to Lexington, Kentucky uh, in August. So with, within, within the week of you listening to this podcast, I'll be there um, and I will find out uh, who the winners are um, at the Advanced Writers and Speakers Association Conference. It is just an honor for me to have been nominated for an award, my first book ever. So um, I just feel like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. 
And um, but so if you if you would like a copy of my book, you can get it wherever you would normally buy books. If you grab it on Amazon because it's there as a as a paperback and it's also there as a Kindle version, you can um, get it there. But if you do get it there, please, please, please leave me a review. I'm shooting for a hundred reviews. And so far I'm like over 60. Uh, so please make sure you go in there and leave a review. If you don't care about any of that and you would like a signed copy um, with a special gift bookmark, you can order that from my personal website, sandraflack.com. There you can learn more about me, read my blog and contact me for speaking opportunities. Um, now, I'd also like to give a big shout out to some businesses that sponsor JFO's work with our Care Portal platform, serving local children and families in crisis. Uh, Tri Nuclear Corporation, Bishop Boundary Construction, National Bank of Kuksaki, and Cullman Insurance Agency, all are businesses who care about children and families, and they help JFO do what we do with the Care Portal. So we want to thank them for that. Uh, if you enjoyed the show and you know what, you deserve a big, huge prize. If you've made it all the way to the end and you're still listening to me talk after my conversation with Claire, um, let us know by subscribing to this podcast, let your fellow foster and adoptive friends also know, um, so that they can be equipped and encouraged. Also follow us on social media, JFO, um, has both an Instagram and Facebook page. You can follow myself, Sandra Flack. I also have a Facebook and Instagram. You can um, friend me there and uh, so we can connect. And again, I am grateful that you spent your day with me today. Hopefully it wasn't the whole day, but your time, your very important time, your valuable time with me today. I hope it was worth it. I am thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast, brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.